podcast episode 331 um, things have been a little bit crazy this month i do apologize for the uh, lack of regular shows this month we did uh, kind of skip an episode last week um, we did kind of have a half episode uh, i did do a farm tour last week to kind of make up for it but um, things are finally getting back on track between breaking my shoulder and then also just uh, us bringing online you know two new greenhouses and everything else it's been very hectic here um along with uh, a bunch of other stuff getting ready for 420 and all the rest of that it's just been a very busy month and also my birthday was this month so it's just been a lot before we get started let me run the ad here subject you to one quick ad for our uh, classes If you're looking for more education on aquaponic cannabis, please consider the Aquaponic Cannabis Masterclass at apmjclass.com, featuring over seven days of in-depth, hands-on educational content with Marty Waddell and Stephen Reisner as your guides through the aquaponic cannabis universe. We'll cover everything from construction of large commercial facilities, uh, home size systems, backyard systems, nutrients, pest control, diseases, everything you can think of, and, uh, and so much more. So be sure to check that out at apmjclass.com. And if you're looking for aquaponic cannabis or living soil uh, pest control courses, please check out uh, thepestclass.com, where we have a huge in-depth course on pest control, how to make your own um, biocontrols, as well as in-depth guides and identification guides for a whole slew of different pests that you might encounter in your aquaponics garden. And it's not strictly just geared towards cannabis, uh, it's also geared towards vegetables as well. So be sure to check that out if it's something you think you might need to improve in your education. All right, guys. Um, before we get started, I, first off, I figured um, I have a bunch of cool uh, lessons and short class, like one-hour talks and stuff that I put together over the years. Uh, I figured today we could kind of cover like how to connect your pond or aquarium uh, to basically like pay for itself, grow some vegetables off those freeloading fish. Uh, I have an aquarium club presentation that I put together a couple of years ago. I think it'll be kind of fun to kind of go over with you guys and, and would help a lot of people out that actually have those kinds of things going at their house. Uh, also, um, I kind of have a, a cool how-to video on how to pre-drill glass tanks. Um, so I figure we kind of go over that. Um, and then depending on how long that takes to go through, maybe I'll pull up one of my other ones. You know, if there's a topic that you guys are interested in in chat, um, I can pull up one of my, my other decks for that just because uh, we had a guest booked for today and then I woke up this morning and uh, they had to reschedule last minute. So um, unfortunately, uh, I had to kind of scramble to, to put something together. But I think this will be fun. Uh, we have a lot of cool stuff. Before that, I did want to kind of show you guys some stuff in flower that we have right now. Um, I figured that'd be kind of fun before we go started with the aquaponics stuff because I know not everybody here is uh, is looking for aquaponics. So I thought maybe show you guys some of the flowers that we have in our garden right now. 
So this is the Blue Bull Soto from Dutch Blooms. We have the uh, Don Mega Larry Chimes, again, from Dutch Blooms. That one really is one of our best overall um, in terms of consistency. We have our uh, uh, Gary Payton Larry Chimes. Definitely a little bit of purple in some of those, which is really nice. Uh, Bomb Show from Canatai Seeds. Definitely like top three when it comes to frost in our whole, whole collection there. And this is just test flowers. So these are just some clones that we quickly flower just to kind of see what was worth keeping. We're trying to very quickly sort through, you know, 2000 plus moms. So we're trying to, uh, you know, just put everything through its paces really quick. Some dog liquor from Dutch Blooms, looking really nice. It's interesting to see how some of them kind of have a whole second round of, um, of hairs that come bursting out once they start to fluff up and then other ones don't. The banana haze, you can see a little bit more of a traditional, almost like a tie structure for that one. Hasty waves, Larry Chimes. We got LSD Freak Show from Canatai Seed. Looking good. Those are real dense as well on average. The Violet Beauregard from uh, 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 American One. Nice and frosty. With that frost on the edge of those leaves, man, it's just covered in crystals. We got ATF Soto from Dutch Blooms. Looking really nice. And we we're gonna do like highlight. I'm gonna do like a highlight video, like a like a two to four minute video on each of the strains. Once we've had a chance to really sort through all the moms and stuff like that, I want to highlight each of the breeders and 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 each strain and everything. Plus, they'll give us a great reference when we have customers that want to buy clones or flower. We can say, hey, check out the video on the strain. You know, there's some banana haze, looking really nice and chunky. White haze. The white haze, we have one pheno of the white haze that straight up just about finishes in like five and a half weeks. It is one of the fastest strains I've ever seen in my life. Uh, some sweet Thai OG from Canatai Seed. And that thing gets stacked and that has some nice like uh, coffee uh, um, terpene under, undertones. Uh, it, it smells really good. Some more of that uh, Don Morega, Larry Chimes. Oh. <laughs> Out of focus. Sweet Thai OG. Again, one of our favorites. Purple Heart. So this is a one-to-one -one THC to CBD. And definitely a little bit more on the fluffy side, but that's perfectly fine for a one-to-one. It's -one. So Red Lead Puck. Look at that. Nice and fucking fluffy, frosty. And we haven't been power feeding these guys. The next round that we'll be doing will be feeding at a much heavier rate. Willie Nelson Soto, nice and fluffy, nice and crystally, nice and dense. Freaky Bastard, slightly out of focus, I apologize, but again, more nice nugs. Purple Heart. Again, more spindly, more foxtaily kind of structure on the purple heart. 
That's so from um, the Purple Heart is from uh, um, Irie Genetics. Lost to Jeff. And uh, that's one of his uh, like uh, veteran lines for, for PTSD and stuff. It's really good. Uh, ice cream cake, Larry Chimes. Apparently, I was uh, out of focus. There we go. There's that ice cream cake, Larry Chimes. Nice and frosty. Some puck F3s. There you go. That one smells real good, by the way. Gary Payton, Larry Chimes. That was definitely Marvel's purple strain that we have. White Haze, another one of those. We got uh, Siam Syrup from Infamous Gardens. Stacks up real nice. Now that one smells, this one smells like peaches and guava. It smells wonderful. We got the Bruce Banana Candy. Um, or Bruce, it's actually Bruce Banner Candy. Um, there's some issues with translating labels that uh, I need to fix in the database. Um, but uh, this is from Jordan of the Isle. And you can see it, we had a bit of a heat wave and it's been crisping out the <laughs> some of the leaves that are higher up on the plant. It's been 106, 107 here lately, 105 every day. So they were not used to that up until the last couple of days. This last week has just been brutal. And Post Malone now, these Post Malones are crazy dense. Like of all the stuff that we have, they are the, the, the fastest to like rock hard nug density. Uh, and again, we got those from, from Dutch Blooms. Uh, watermelon Kush, real, real frosty again early on. So, yeah. Just to give you guys a little bit of a preview of some of the stuff that we're doing. We have some Amy Aces and stuff hanging up too, mid American one. I just uh, I haven't had a chance to photograph everything yet. I've been so busy. Uh, we're trying to put together like a big marketing thing and, and uh, I've kind of split my days between greenhouses and, and computer work. So I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off. For these, Ryan, on a 12-12 cycle from seed, how long did you have to stay in veg? So these were all run, these are all clones off of the models that we have. Data straight for ADD. All kinds of fun things in chat here. Um, yeah, just a ton of really wonderful genetics. Um, we're about to kick out all of the Thai stuff that's taking too long and immediately replace it with other genetics in the tester room. We have a test greenhouse, so um, we give them uh, two and a half months. And if they take longer than you know 10 weeks, then uh, it's time to push them outside and uh, replace them with something else. And then we have our back greenhouses right now, which we are uh, vegging out a little longer. And uh, once they get a little bit bigger, we'll be flipping those and uh, flowering those out. And all that flower will be available for the market here. So but, um, we already have uh, clones and everything up and available on the market. Uh, feel free to reach out to me on whatever platform if anyone uh, is in need of those in Thailand. All righty. Uh, what do we have here? Okay, so what I had in mind for today was uh, going over, I did a really cool presentation for the uh, Colorado Aquaponic, or, uh, Colorado Aquarium Society uh, a couple of years ago. And um, I thought it'd be kind of neat to kind of walk people through that 
and uh, and then maybe cover like how to drill a tank and then um, kind of see how long that takes and then uh, we can kind of go over whatever questions you guys have um, i'll make sure i have my uh, my thing up on for to read chat while you guys are going so if you guys have questions during this presentation i can i can check in let me pull that up i'm sorry guys it, today has just been a bit of a wonky morning do you guys have any questions in chat before we get started also uh, one other thing I wanted to say is thank you everybody for helping us reach 14,000 subscribers. We actually just hit 14,000 14, subscribers in the last week. So thank you everybody for helping us promote the show uh, and uh, getting the word out about all the awesome content that we've had a chance to put together, all the awesome interviews with all the amazing people that have given us their time to tell us about how they grow. So uh, thank you all of you guys that listen and watch and ladies and everything else that uh, people identify as these days for uh, uh, helping us grow the show. Right. Up here. Any of the special, any that I'm especially excited about, um, the Medellin Larry Chimes crosses is some of the stinkiest and strangest smelling weed I've ever had. That's definitely up on my list. And then just seeing some of the funkier northern Thai stuff that we've had a chance to collect that we haven't flowered yet. Um, I'm definitely going to get a lot of that into flower. And then the African stuff that we've, we've gotten uh, recently is going to be really nice as well to kind of see how that does here, because I think it's going to do well. It's a very similar climate. Here we go. You guys see that all right? You guys can check. Okay, there we go. Shut up. Okay, no longer. Make sure you're not in top chat if you're watching. Oh, it's showing the stupid app bar. How do I kill this? Close doc. There we go. Is that better? Yeah, that should go away in a second. Okay, cool. Can you guys hear me all right? Audio still good? Okay, cool. All right, so um, aquaponics is using fish waste in order to feed your plants. Basically, it's um, with, with an aquarium or a pond system, eventually you need to do some amount of water change because the fish waste builds up nitrogen in the water. And when the nitrogen gets too high, it eventually causes what's called brown blood disease in the fish where the nitrogen gets so, so high it becomes toxic and builds up in their bloodstream so in order to prevent that 
Um, you need something like terrestrial plants or lily pads or you know, some kind of other biological export of that nitrogen. Um, so one great way to do it is aquaponics. You know, you can grow vegetables or terrestrial plants with it or even flowers or whatever else you want to grow and basically utilize that plant growth as a means to export that nitrogen so that you don't have to do water changes on your aquariums anymore uh, and, and things like that. So it can really help reduce the amount of maintenance for your home aquariums. Uh, and I think people often don't touch on those types of things. So basically the plants filter the water for the fish and the fish provide nutrients for the plants. So why would you grow an aquaponics? Well, aquaponics uses significantly less water uh, compared to other methods, especially at a home scale. You can easily get an IBC tote or a couple of tough totes, a couple of pieces of plumbing or gutters and set up a, you know, a really small, easy system you know, on your deck or your porch or in your backyard uh, for the spring or summertime and grow significantly more food uh, you know, right outside the window than you could you know, in a whole uh, area of your yard. Uh, or if you have a more vertical space, you know, in the city or wherever else, it allows you to you know, actually utilize that space much better. You don't have to supplement it anywhere near as much as soil. Um, it can be a little bit cheaper. Uh, depending on your climate, and then also allows you to have uh, you know both fish and um, plants available. So why would you use it, uh, an aquarist uh, grow it? Well, uh, again, you can turn fish that just are kind of a, a money sink and, and start to have them grow vegetables, uh, you know, such as leafy greens or peppers or tomatoes or whatever else you want to grow, cannabis even, um, in order to um, help make them kind of cover some of their own costs at least in terms of uh, of return. So. Um, when it comes to fish food, uh, you can also grow a lot of your own fish food um, uh, with your system or even grow fish food from your normal kitchen scraps uh, and, and feed that to insects and then feed them to your fish and kind of help close some of the loops uh, and regenerative loops on your own hole, uh, you know, outside of your garden. It can dramatically reduce uh, the need for water changes on your normal aquarium systems, especially if you plumb a bunch of freshwater systems together into one or two grow beds, you can really cut down on the amount of maintenance that you have to do on a regular basis when it comes to water changes, because all of those minerals are being uptaken by, you know, a, um, you know, a plant source instead of uh, building up in the system. Um, can be a great way to filter breeding systems. Uh, again, with breeding systems, you want to kind of have a hyper amount of uh, nitrogen um, uh, export because those fish are, and eggs are very sensitive to nitrogen. So uh, by having a lot of terrestrial plants in that system, such as even a floating raft of lettuce on top of that aquarium, can dramatically help um, you know, increase that nitrogen export and ensure those baby fish are happy and healthy for breeding you know, rare freshwater tropical fish. And we can dramatically reduce the overall system maintenance. Again, we've talked about that quite significantly already. So uh, the fish poops, uh, he produces waste, uh, it gets broken down by uh, nematodes, and worms, and microbes. Uh, those convert it in, you know, through their gut into a more liquefied form of, of plant waste, which is then uh, converted again by another set of microbes and then turned into plant food, um, which is then, you know, a portion of that is then uh, fed back to the fish. So you can, uh, or fed to insects, which are then fed back to the fish. So depending on what you're doing, uh, you can really uh, dramatically close those loops. Server system design. Now, um, just to get creative, the grow bed you're looking at there, um, the, uh, the older gentleman there is a, the father of a friend of mine. Uh, and uh, this is built from an old bus frame, a wrecked bus. They cut the frame in half. Uh, and then they got another bus and cut that frame in half and built a square platform 
Um, and then where the, uh, the joints were on the ends, there was a, a, a giant hole there. So they put a giant pin and then mounted it to these um, scaffolding. So you can raise and lower the platform by lifting it and spinning the bars. And it basically acted as a giant lift. So you could raise and lower the whole platform a few feet uh, without having to really do a, a ton of labor to it. It was really interesting. But um, you can also see it's hinged in the middle where the walkways are. Well, we can hinge, uh, lift those up and immediately have access to all of the water uh, that's right there for any of the plumbing or just to feed the fish or give the fish a little more daylight during the day. Um, but if we need to walk to work on the grow beds, we can immediately you know, fold them down to, uh, to have access to that area. And this is just recycled plastic decking that we got as a, a deconstruction from the um, um, uh, what's it called? Um, Habitat for Humanity has the Restore. We just picked those up real cheap at Restore and we're able to recycle it. And then we got actually a redwood deck off of Craigslist, which is what most of that wood is in that in that greenhouse. Which is a, again, if you get scrapping between Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, and, and Restore, you can really build a nice greenhouse uh, if you're resourceful. And you can see here as well, we had a GAT system. This fan blows down underground. Uh, through tubes that help keep the, the greenhouse cold or warm, depending on the time of year. Um, this was mid-construction. So the main things to think about is the size of your system. You know, you're going to build a smaller system, a backyard system, or a commercial scale system. And then what are your considerations? Are you trying to make money? Are you trying to feed a, a you know, a, a small community? Um, you know, what is your crop choice? What's going to grow well in your different times of year? Uh, what's going to actually sell well uh, you know when i was in jamaica we grew lots of cool different vegetables that would have been great but if they didn't know what it was they wouldn't touch it they were afraid of vegetables that they had never seen before so um you know sometimes cultural considerations can also play a big role into profitability when you're talking about this kind of stuff um what is the climate you know are you going to have really hot days right now it's 105 106 degrees here where i am in thailand um you know you need to be careful about what's going to tolerate that you're certainly not going to grow like spinach in these temperatures i'll put it that way um you, you know what i mean so you know thinking about that kind of stuff ahead of time and, and proper crop planning is, is extremely important uh, and then what is the difference in in the different desired species in terms of nutrient requirements you know i'm trying to kind of set up you know a, a few different systems that maybe have a high medium and low uh, nutrient density in the system can really help you dial in uh, mass production or even doing one that's specifically at a much lower pH um, can also help you, uh, you know, dial in specific crop choices, depending on what it is that you're doing. Things to consider, do you have enough power? Now, this is a big one. I've seen multiple people set up very large facilities and then not contact the power company beforehand to find out what the transmission lines could actually handle um, before they went and planned an entire large facility or um, they, the, they didn't realize that they were going to have to completely replace the transmission lines in order to reach the, the megawatts that they were trying to achieve for their facility. So uh, this is something that you absolutely needs to be part of. Before you even purchase or rent a property, you need to be talking to the power company about what is the maximum power transmission on those lines and what is, what is possible um, before you need you know, a significant investment uh, on that property. Ideally, if you can find, you know, a property that's in an industrial zone that's used to having these high power lines, uh, that can certainly help you. Um, tent, if you're doing larger facilities, um, tents, uh, rooms, and greenhouses. Again, you know, they all have their advantages. Tents are nice because you can pop them up or down. 
Rooms are nice because it's a little more better climate control, a little bit cheaper to do larger scale stuff. Greenhouses are nice because you have the bio control. Um, you know, is there water access to the grow? Again, lots of people set up home grows and then have to carry buckets throughout their house. You know, you don't want to have to do that. Like run the run the water lines. You'll be glad you did. Um, do you have HOAs or other annoying ordinances that are going to be a pain in your butt? Um, think about that if that applies to you. Um, you know, and do you have adequate access to fresh air? You know, oftentimes people set them up in their basements that don't have any fresh air access, and that can be a huge problem in reducing grows. Um, you know, what is the power? You know, and one other thing too is if you're setting up a grow that's of any kind of scale in your home and you have a fire, the police department and the fire department will find a way to fine you to pay for them showing up. So to avoid that from happening, make sure you put sub panels in, you know, pay some electrician cash or whatever. Most of them don't give a shit. Um, tell them you're going to set up a workshop for tool making or jewelry making or whatever, just whatever excuse you want. Um, and then have them put in a sub panel for you with the amperage that you need across the and where the outlets exactly where you want them. Uh, you'll be glad you did. Plus, it'll add a level of redundancy. You put GFIs on those outlets. You put a sub panel in before your main panel. The likelihood of you actually having any kind of significant fire or other electrical issues is very low when you have that triple redundancy. So I highly recommend that, certainly for the home scale. And then even if you look at even the, the large facility I'm working at here in Thailand, we have that triple redundancy. We have a breaker that goes out to the main line. We have the breaker for the building. And then each room has a sub panel breaker for, for each one. So all the equipment would have to fail. The sub panel would have to fail. The building panel would have to fail. And the main line would have to fail. The panel would have to fail before we had a fire. If all of those fail at once, it's time to buy a lottery ticket. You know what I mean? Like the likelihood of mathematically of the, all of those failing simultaneously is, is basically zero functionally. So um, again, the more redundancy you can put in for that kind of stuff, the more you can kind of cover your butt and prevent any kind of main, main issues. Um, yeah, and then also too, anytime you can move up to a three-phase uh, type system, you're going to be in a much better situation than if you aren't doing a three-phase system. I do apologize for the... Uh, um, buzzing there i uh i am also uh managing the farm here while i'm talking um so small systems so the pros are they're easy to fit into apartments or other types of places great for education cheap to build um they can be a little bit harder to produce enough nutrients because you, you don't have enough fish biomass to really create enough waste to create enough fertilizer in order to feed stuff um, and then you have your pH and temperature, which can change much faster in a smaller volume of water than a larger volume of water. So if you're seeing big water uh, temperature swings at nighttime, you might want to go out and put like a blanket or even one of those space blankets over top of the tank when the sun goes down, um, just to kind of help keep those fish a little warmer, a little longer later into the season. You'll be glad you did. Um, and then, you know, P, uh, pH can also swing a little easier. Uh, also, like if your kids are running around and put the wrong type of thing in chemical wise um, in a smaller system, you know, things can go belly up much faster than a larger system. So here's a great example of one that I used to teach a, a workshop on in Colorado, which is just a tough tote, a concrete mixing tray from um, a Home Depot. Uh, and this, I just had a basic flood and drain kit that I also bought at Home Depot. Uh, with a little fountain pump and i think the whole thing cost about 67 dollars 
at the time. It's probably closer to 80 bucks now with inflation and all the rest of the happy horse crap. But um, and then just a bag of, of media, you know, that we also got from from Home Depot. So, um, you know, super simple. We had uh, the peppers, tomatoes and a couple other crops in dual root zone pots where we have soil, uh, half soil, half media, just to help um, give them a little bit more of a base that we could we could power feed if we wanted to power feed them. Here's some other examples of different aquarium kits. You know, you can use a, a cheap cutting board and some party cups and put that on top of your aquarium and boom, you got an aquaponic system. Um, just make sure you, you still got some air stones in there for the fish and you're good to go. Uh, and then if you're looking for the blueprints for this, I do have that available uh, in our Facebook group or I can email it to you for this uh, system. This is all built from two by fours. Uh, and then all, all the rest of the parts are available at Home Depot or Lowe's. Uh, the liner and the plumbing and all the rest of it. Um, we were using those for education in California. Here's the aqua sprouts and then um, whatever this one is. Uh, these are also available in the market. He's a good friend of mine. He spends a lot of time in education. He has a couple other models available as well. Looking for something else small. Um, hanging hydro. Um, I, I don't know if they're still around, but they had a really cool system as well um, that had these hanging systems that you can mount inside your uh, uh, grow tents. So you can kind of run this to your aquarium plumbing wise. It was pretty neat. Um, so backyard systems. So this is another great way. Again, you use IVC totes. You can just build a, a you know a grow bed that has a liner in it uh, to your your koi pond with a flood and drain system. Um, you know, there's a lot of different options that you can do. Again, great for uh, learning on and great for growing your own vegetables for your own home. Um, can be a little bit more expensive to heat in the winter time if you don't have them insulated properly, uh, and then can be a little bit more expensive to build depending on your zoning and stuff like that. Some places are a little bit more of a pain in the butt in terms of building stuff. Here's an example of uh, some of the old systems used to build back at the aquaponic source once upon a time. Um, you can see the you know this is a basic one. I would build them a little bit differently these days, where I would I would probably split this into two beds and, and do a liner. Uh, and then same thing on this slide and then one one here, but uh, you know, I, you learn a lot as you go along. So uh, you have greenhouses here. Greenhouses are great uh, because you kind of have the best of both worlds. Um, you don't have to pay for, you know, 12 hours plus minus uh, of the day in terms of lighting. Uh, if you need crops that need to have longer light, cannabis, arugula, some of the other ones. Uh, arugula kind of gets triggered and we'll, we'll start to go to flower for longer days. Cannabis is kind of the opposite where um, it, the longer days will keep it in veg. So it kind of depends on what your goals are. Um, but some crops really need those longer days. Tomatoes will do a little bit better with longer days as well. Um, um, it kind of gives you that ability to just pay for that, you know, three or four extra hours a day that you need to have them on or use light depth and even, you know, use the sun for 12 hours and then shut the sun off. You know, depending on what it is that you're growing, if you're doing arugula or cannabis, you wouldn't want a long day. So uh, if you're trying to flower uh, the uh, cannabis or, or keep the arugula in green, so uh, things to think about. Um, and then uh, also with greenhouses is you have that kind of biosecurity where you're kind of sealed off from the outside world. You know, you won't get the swarms of insects in the same way that you will um, with uh, some of the other types of systems. So um, requires supplemental lighting in winter months. Um, design can play a big role um, and it comes to um, uh, climate control uh, and hotter weather environments. You want to have the umbrella tops or split tops, um, colder weather environments, you want standard domes. Uh, and then also, you know, combining geothermal or solar heating can really be important.
commercial systems, you know, obviously you can produce a ton of plants. You guys have seen me build a bunch. Uh, certainly, if you've been following the, uh, the 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 thing recently, this is one a design we did a low cost design in Jamaica for um, you know peppers or cannabis or whatever. Um, here's another design that we did for a different client, just in terms of layout. So planting methods. So the dual root zone planting really is the the best way to go about it. This is the uh, one of the original uh, uh, um, photos from some of the early trials of uh, dual root zones with uh, cucumbers. Um, you got um, rafts, media beds, dual root zones, waking beds, nutrient fill techniques, tree drums, and vertical towers. We'll talk about each one. Um, so rafts are really good for low nutrient crops. Anything that's going to live kind of three months or less, leafy greens. Um, sometimes your kitchen herbs can, can do really well in their longer term, just depends on what they are. Um, but allows for really easy, quick turnover. And that's really kind of what they're made for is kind of rapid cycling um, more than anything else. Uh, the downside is, is that they don't provide much additional nutrients. There's no room for mycelial uh, networks to, to build. Um, and they don't have a lot of ability to be supplement, supplemented very easily without um, spending entirely too much on things like decoupled systems, which you know can almost double the cost of your nutrients per year when it comes to supplementation. And you can't grow root crops with them. Uh, and then uh, one nice thing they are good for, though, is if you're in a colder climate, the, they can act as thermal batteries. So if you have your um, heat exchangers running through your troughs, you can actually you know, heat the greenhouse pretty readily through that uh, using either gas or solar water heaters in really good heat exchangers. So um, that is one of the benefits if you're in Canada or the Netherlands or Sweden or something like that. It can be a great way to... Uh, ensure that you know if you had 80 or 75 or 80 percent of your greenhouses raft beds you know the, the heat output for that would, would keep your greenhouse pretty warm throughout the winter uh, proper aeration is, is really important you do want to have an air stone every two to three feet um, you know every meter or so plus minus uh, going down your um, your, your uh, length of your raft beds uh, and then also raft systems um, help a lot with uh, maintaining temp yeah we talked about that so uh, here's an example, could a couple of different examples of raft beds uh, in aquaponics. And then you have media beds here. So media beds really are the best uh, of both worlds because they allow for enough microbial uh, colonization for uh, mineralization within the, the beds themselves, as long as you have them scaled properly to enough of a ratio of the rest of your beds. So um, uh, if you're gonna have longer lived crops, fruit trees, um, brassicas, tomatoes, peppers, other things that are gonna live a long time, uh, media beds really are gonna be the best way to go. Um, and then also tall plants. You know, If you have something that's gonna be very tall or very woody, you're gonna have a, a much better time with media beds because they're gonna have a way to anchor and not flop over. Whereas with media beds, they'll just fall over. Um, it does not allow for additional nutrient supplementation, the same way that dual root zones do. Um, so that can be a downside. And it doesn't allow for proper exterior root pressure, things like root crops. Um, that's why you, you see kind of deformed root crops and media beds compared to wicking beds. Uh, and can be a little more costly to build. Um, and then again, we tend to use things like bell siphons. Uh, you can see here's a, a dual root zone media bed uh, 
cabbage on the uh, API test kit. That's quite a big cabbage there. I have some cannabis plants in the back. And then here's another example of a, a media, happy media bed covered in cottonwood uh, fuzz. Uh, again, another happy media bed. And, uh, and this is that same system that I showed you before, uh, just a little bit farther along in that summer. Here's some media bed tips. Again, worms are really important. Black worms and red wigglers are my go-tos. Earthworms can also help break down larger material. Um, proper pre-filtration is good for bigger systems. Uh, without it, you know, you don't have a good way to separate that waste to mineralize it properly. Dual root zones, they're great for long-lived plants. Um, you know, if you're going to power feed stuff, peppers, tomatoes, cucumbers, cannabis, something you really want to feed heavily, you really need to put them in a dual root zone system. Um, they'll also have a much better flavor profile than, than stuff grown in a media bed or, or DWC because that soil has additional microbes that is simply not present in aquatics only and allows them to have that additional um, flavor profile and terpene and secondary metabolite expression that you simply cannot get with aquaponics alone. And if you're trying to hit six plus five, six percent terpenes with your cannabis, you really need to do dual its own setups because you're getting terrestrial microbes and the aquatic microbes and both of them are triggering the secondary metabolite genes within that cannabis plant separately and and, and kind of separately boosting terpene expression uh, in their own different ways because the microbial colonies are radically different so um, it's kind of the best way to trigger the most as possible um, and it can take a little bit longer to replant when you, when you go to final harvest again you kind of have to separate let the root pots dry out and then pull the soil off can be a little bit annoying uh, and then can take a little bit longer to kind of set the pots up in the beginning when you're planting but overall it does give the best results Ooh. yeah so um dual zone planting really is the key to doing cannabis and aquaponics or any kind of happy feeding plant uh, fruit trees also uh, would apply into this um uh application if you're going to really push yields uh, and when i say Push yields, I mean, like compared to commercial production of other, you know, what is standard in the market. Um, and you can see here we have a, uh, this is an old, old slide. Uh, I still have the misspelling on there. Uh, this is great. Anyways, you guys can laugh at me. It's okay. Um, we have our soil layer, our burlap, and then the media. Now, I use a 50-50 split now. Um, when I made this deck, we used to be more of a 40%, a, 60%, a but um, it's about, we use 50-50 now. And you can see here, the soil layer above that um, media bed layer. And you do want to make sure you have a, a half an inch to an inch gap um, between your, your burlap layer and your water layer. You're not trying to wick the, the water up into the soil. You want it to have a dry layer that, that's separate. All right. The Duroid zone versus media beds, you can see here the uh, tomato here on the top is uh, uh, from a media bed only. And the one here on the bottom is a dual root zone to a tomato. Now, this tomato here had 44% more flower sites and 38% more total tomatoes at harvest uh, compared to the media bed only tomatoes. And that was the, the very first test that we did back in the day on that. And you can see here some dual root zone um, cannabis plants. Now these were Bruce Banners. Um, we were able to pull you know, over six pounds from each of these plants. Uh, when we finished uh, on these. So they were monsters when we harvested. 
Um, so you have your five controls of the root zone. So you can water nutrients directly into the water. You can dose directly into the soil. And you can uh, make custom soil mixes that kind of have a time release. And then you have your foliar spraying of nutrients, and then you have your, you know, changing up your fish food. Now, with fish food, if you're feeding um, much more heavy carnivores uh, and more nitrogen input uh, and protein input to the fish, you have more nitrogen out. Um, whereas you feed omnivores or herbivores, you have much more phosphorus and potassium uh, in the waste. So, um, you know, if you're really doing a large scale system, you might want to have, you know, two thirds of your fish as, as omnivores or herbivores and one third as carnivores um, to kind of have your veg and your flower solutions. Uh, if you're, you know, when you get to a very large scale, it makes sense. At a small scale, it doesn't matter, but at a big scale, um, you know, it does make sense to think about those kinds of things. So dual root zones, again, this is a, a standard soil mix. Um, I changed it up a little bit. I don't use cocoa coir at all anymore. Um, we use rice husks uh, instead, but uh, that's the biggest thing. I just, I don't like, cocoa seems to screw with uh, the nutrients too much. Uh, I just don't like it. Um, again, we use all different types of, of ones. I Until I was in Thailand, we didn't really use bat guano anymore, but we use it here because it's cheap and easy to get, and uh, it's really nutritious, and the stuff we can get is low on heavy metals, so. I'm not overly worried about uh, anything like that here because we did have it tested. Um, but you can add any, you know, any of these standard things like this. Now avoid saponins, any wetting agents, um, or um, you know things like yucca extract. Uh, all those will be highly lethal to fish. So all of those are, are gonna be you know, avoided. Yeah, um, the only exception to that would be um, aloe vera. You can absolutely use aloe vera. It doesn't have that negative effect in it, even though it does contain some saponins. Um, they are not fish lethal. So just something to consider. Karanja oil actually will change, uh, can mess with sex hormones in fish. So um, while totally fine for soil, uh, if you are running at aquaponics, something to consider. Unless you're trying to keep them from breeding, then, you know, it's fine. Um, it's not going to hurt you at all. It's just, you know, can be an issue depending on your scale. So proper watering. So in order to determine how much to water in a dual root zone, you want to measure the amount in the soil um, before you pour it in. So let's go back to our slide here. So I would pour water into the soil zone here until it starts to drip out of the bottom of the pot. Uh, so let's say that took 16 ounces of water. I'm going to cut that in half. Um, so I want to do no more than eight or 10 ounces of water um, that I'm ever going to water into the soil zone uh, approximately. Um, in order to kind of prevent a lot of runoff into the system. Now, a little bit's okay. You, know, you can even overwater a little bit beyond that, but you wouldn't want to go crazy um, because you're not trying to like flush the soil nutrients into the system, right? You're, you're trying to still maintain them in the root zone. So again, you can dose nutrients into the soil, into the sump. Um, you can mix up the soil into kind of a, a slow, slow mix. You can foliar spray uh, or whatever that you want to do. We've talked about that. So wicking beds. So this is another method um, that you can do here in terms of growing in aquaponics. Now, wicking beds have a great advantage in that you can do root crops, so onions, beets, potatoes, um, you know, uh, carrots, all those types of things. Uh, this uh, ginger, uh, turmeric, all those things can be grown with via aquaponics uh, with wicking beds. And with the wicking beds, you have that even exterior root pressure. So you'll actually get 
you know, properly shaped carrots and onions and potatoes, you know, they won't be all misshapen. Um, the downside is they can be a little bit heavier. You can see here, uh, if you set them up this way, you can basically just tilt this down and over um, and uh, immediately it will drain all of the extra water. Uh, if you have rain or something like that, um, you're not gonna end up with this thing completely filling up if you have these overflow drains. And all you do is you fill it up here where the top of the cap is, uh, and then it'll oops, it'll drain out um, you know, when it overflows and gets too high. This has gravel right here and then right above that will be a layer of burlap or you know, you know shade cloth and then you have your soil on top um, and then this can work really well for for your uh as a flow through with water flowing through the bottom of the system um, from an aquaponic system if you're going to put them in line uh, that can work extremely well also gives you um very good moisture control you can even grow things like osha root because you have that hyper um, accurate uh, moisture control based on depth. So you can make it deeper or shallower based on the moisture content that those roots need for hypersensitive uh, crops, such as osha root, which is a, a very hard to grow uh, root crop. It's highly medicinal. Or you can take just your regular old cloth pots, drop them in your media beds where the bottom is just kissing the soil when it floods up all the way, and then put carrots right in them and grow them right in your normal old media beds. So. You have NFTs, which is like your pipes, you know, um, or your gutter systems, um, which can allow you to grow, you know, leafy greens and all types of um, um, you know, kitchen herbs and stuff like that. Um, uh, also, um, can restrict the size. Your uh, can be a little bit restrictive because you can only do them for so long uh, along walls before you run into issues running out of wall space. Um, plants that have large root systems will clog up. Um, that can be one advantage, though, is that when you have uh, these three or four inch pipe systems with the net cups, you can pull the plants out and root prune them. Now, when you root prune them, the plant thinks it's being under attack by insects, so it produces excess essential oils. So if you're doing kitchen herbs, um, that can be beneficial because it makes them stronger, right? Um, so uh, that's something else to think about, you know, and it can be an advantage to NFTs over other systems is that you do have that easy access to root prune. Uh, and then uh, NFTs tend to be more prone to root rot, but if you're keeping up in your lactobacillus and your liquid IMO uh, dosing, you will not have that problem. Here's a couple different examples of some different systems uh, running NFTs. Here's a simple, you know, two or three inch pipe system they build at Home Depot with a tough tote, just like I was talking about earlier. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You can just go to Home Depot and spend a couple bucks and away you go. You don't have to go crazy. The tree drums. Now, this is a methodology that Robbie and I put together back when I was at the aquaponics source for growing um, uh, fruit trees. We had a customer come to us from Montana, and uh, they're trying to figure out how to grow fruit trees. So it took a little bit of tinkering. We killed a couple of fruit trees, but we figured it out after a while. And um, the, the biggest thing is to not get them too wet and to make sure you have about two thirds to 75% of the root system in soil with the bottom section of it in the flood and drain. So um, you know, doing something like this kind of breakdown, except instead of it being 50-50, like in this diagram, it would be more like a 70-30 uh, uh, kind of breakdown. So having a deeper soil layer with a shallower flood and drain uh, with just a standard flood and drain pipe kit. And this, we were only flooding like every other day um, or every third day, depending on the fruit tree species. Uh, and this worked extremely well. It just, it took a little bit of tinkering with 
kind of figuring out how wet. And then we were watering the top once a week um, with the same water from the system. So that seemed to be the, the trick to it because remember the woodier the crop, the more reliant it is on those secondary metabolites and the mycorrhizal fungi. And they have to have that soil zone um, that they won't survive in aquatic environments. So um, I think that really is the key to it, but you can see how heavily this, this lemon tree is blooming right away. So, you know, we definitely had it figured out after a while, but um, the other cool thing that we did was, oh shoot, let me go back. Um, we put them on these little like um, barrel sized pallets and then we would wheel them inside and put them in, we had like a walk-in fridge. We put a grow lamp in there and then we cool them down to like 40 degrees. 35 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit uh, for 30 days. And then we could wheel them back in the greenhouse and they would go to flower again. So we were able to flower some of our fruit, fruit trees three or four times a year instead of just flowering them one time. Now it was a little bit labor intensive, but it, you can make the math work with the right type of tree species if you did that, you know what I mean? Or even just light depth them, you know, which would be easily you know, light depth them and increase the AC. You could easily do it if you had enough profitability in, in out of season fruiting. So vertical towers, this is another methodology that we used to do a lot of, um, and, and it does work really well for clones or, or kitchen herbs. Um, you can see here's some different ones. Here's the, the old embusted zip grow versus the, uh, the tower that we designed um, that has uh, knockout caps and, uh, and little fruit pouch or, uh, uh, cloth pouches. Um, it allows you to remove them. So they were, we were getting 10 to 12 plants uh, per five vertical feet versus their, uh, their six. So you know, pretty, pretty pathetic. Uh, I don't know, we were getting 14 heads of lettuce to their, their six or eight or whatever it was. So uh, significantly more. And you can see larger scale version with tomatoes and peppers. You can see we did huge displays of both hot, hot chili peppers and, uh, and tomatoes. Green natural farming, again, can be another great way to incorporate uh, a methodology we're all know and love in soil with your uh, aquaponic or your aquarium system. Chris Trump has a lot of great videos, but uh, lactobacillus can really help improve uh, shrimp health and, as well as planted aquarium health. Breaks down a lot of that waste and sludge. Also helps reduce overall nitrogen levels in the system by helping stop that kind of those ammonia bubbles and sometimes you get with the deeper plant beds. Um, really seems to really help with systems like that. So uh, again, uh, lactobacillus ferments for, for plants. You can see here, uh, it works extremely well. Um, check out the videos that I've done or Chris Trump has done on either, either, either YouTube channel uh, on labs. But generally, you take a, a seed culture of kefir uh, or in traditional KNF rice wash and uh, add it to some milk and water and allow it to ferment for a few days. Uh, and it can consume things like pythium and E. coli or salmonella, you know, if you're dealing with any of those issues in your aquatic system or aquarium, uh, it really helps with that. Uh, or any kind of like fungal growths in the system, it's really good at eliminating those as well. Uh, same thing with fungal infections in fish. If you have a fungal outbreak, a secondary, you know, some other disease and you have a secondary fungal outbreak in your aquariums uh, uh, on your fish, or even just have a fish with a fungal infection, you add lactobacillus to it, it really will eliminate that pretty quickly. We've noticed, especially with things like cichlids or with uh, bluegill in large scale aquaculture, um, they tend to beat on each other quite a bit. And, you know, they often get secondary infections of fungal infections. And when we feed them the curds from the lactobacillus, um, we don't have any of those problems in the system at all. So that's something else to think about. 
uh, isolated microbial inoculants. Mammoth pea is extremely fish safe, recharges fish safe, um, and can be you know great to add microbial biodiversity to your aquariums as well as benefit your plants at the same time. Uh, also, uh, trichoderma um, uh, as well. Uh, all these can help reduce things like pythium and, and other uh, uh, root issues um, for both uh, terrestrial and aquatic plants. You know, compost tea brewing. Um, you know, you can brew your own compost teas. These also can be really good for aquariums. Uh, as long as you're avoiding things like yucca. Um, uh, fish foods, uh, again, peas, broccoli, romaine, nori, pineapple, uh, all those are going to increase your potassium and your phosphorus. Things like insects, roaches, soldier flies, worms, crickets, those are all going to increase your nitrogen uh, in your system, uh, depending on the fish that you're feeding. Uh, and then uh, pelletized foods, you know, we really like screening and optimal foods. Um, I really kind of moved away from optimal foods. Uh, screening and star milling seem to have really good foods. Uh, also, they're much cheaper. Uh, optimal is almost twice the, the price of, of basically just start supplementing the nutrients that's in it and then buying a regular old, you know, aquaculture feed. So um, while the, it is cool that there is an aquaponic um, geared fish food, and if you're at home scale and you want to do that and it'd be easy, that's fine. But if you're at a bigger scale financially, it just doesn't make sense to use them. Um, making and raising and growing your own fish food, again, live food, raw, raw plants, um, and then homemade processed foods. We'll talk about that. So earthworms and red wigglers, they're really good, easy to raise at home. Um, keep them about 42 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, make sure you have some fine sand or crushed eggshells to help with their digestion. Um, you know, add them to the, the aquaponic system and the media beds or dual root zone systems and they'll, they'll thrive. You can easily set up your own, um, you know, worm bins. There's many, many, many videos on how to do that. Grindle worms is another one that people often don't talk about. Um, and they really love to live right above the water level in your aquaponic system. Um, they're also really good because they're bigger than the black worms and smaller than the red wigglers. So they're kind of like an in-between size microbe. And they also uh, tend to eat a lot of other, uh, like things like fungus gnat, larva or eggs and um, you know things that you don't want in the garden they tend to kind of prey upon the eggs and the juveniles of so and that can be another good one and you can kind of see here uh, uh, they love to go nuts uh, you can take a little bit of rice flour or some other starch put them on a glass plate and they'll come thriving to it with a little trail off the bed and you collect them that way great baby fish feed you can sell them to your local aquarium club and stuff like that um, or even, you know, hey, if you have a lot of fish at home, you can, you can use it to supplementary feed. Blackworms. Now, these are one of my favorite ones to keep in aquaponics, and people do not talk about them all that much. And these guys live aquaticus. So you want to talk about that sludge layer in the bottom of your media beds or your DWC beds or whatever. It kind of never seems to go away. These guys love that stuff. So they strictly feed on the bacteria that lives on that stuff, those anaerobes, uh, and they break it down and, um, and tunnel through it and bring oxygen into those zones. So uh, definitely something to think about when it comes to, um, um, you know, trying to uh, eliminate some of those problematic areas in your aquaponic system. Uh, they can be a great way to, uh, you know, uh, deal with those problems uh, in the system uh, active. And you can get these at most uh, good aquarium stores uh, for aquariums. You just put them in your media beds where the water comes into the bed or anywhere there's a bit of a problematic sludgier area and they'll, they'll bust it up and then, you know, move on to the next area that is having problems. Dubia and hissing cockroaches, everyone's favorite fish food. 
Um, you can keep them in an aquarium with a two inch band of Vaseline uh, at the top of it. And um, you can, uh, they will not escape. Um, and then you can basically put the, get a couple of pieces of one or two inch pieces of pipe, uh, cut them down and throw them in there. And then when you need to harvest some, you just dump them into a Ziploc, bang the pipe around a little bit, zip it up, throw them in the freezer for 35, 40 minutes, and, uh, and then feed them to the fish and they'll go crazy. But extremely high in nutrients, really good waste output, really high in phosphorus and calcium, um, and uh, really good as a plant food. Again, you don't even need the lid on this. The band of Vaseline on top of that works just fine. Soldier flies, this is another really good one to raise. These are also sold as phoenix worms. You know, you can, they used to sell 25 phoenix worms for 850 for the reptile trade. So, you know, you, you can do a good little side hustle with your extra phoenix worms um, with the black soldier flies. Uh, also chicken owners, people that do like, um, you know, fancy pheasants and pigeons and stuff for bird competitions. They love all these guys, They're really, really good. You do need a reptile, a little reptile UV bulb, uh, AB bulb, or if you're gonna flower them, a little outflower them, raise them all year round. But um, that's kind of the only issue if you're gonna do them at large scales. Um, but in most of the US uh, and most of the world has native soldier flies. Um, they also tend to eliminate uh, house flies when they're in larger colonies, they'll kind of prey upon them too. So, you know, you might have one or two that find, find their way in there, but these guys will pick them off. They also eat a wide range of different plant wastes, so it uh, can be a great way to eliminate stuff like that as well. This is a company that makes a cool little unit. Um, he's, we, we have an interview with the creator of this. If you go way back to our, our first 100 episodes or so, um, we talk about this in one of the episodes. I don't remember which one. Brine shrimp is another good one you can raise for your fish as well. Um, I think most people know about them. You get the egg packets. They're kind of like sea monkeys. You throw them in the water, you wait a couple of days, then you feed them to your fish. Duckweed, I, I highly recommend keeping this high, as far away from your aquaponic system as you can. If you do feed it, you need to freeze it or dry it completely before you feed it to the fish and use it as like a flour or a paste. Don't feed them directly because if you get this in your main system, it's almost impossible to get rid of. Um, it's like the equivalent of like stripper glitter or herpes to the aquaponics world. Um, you just will never get rid of it. So just don't, um, uh, don't use it uh, if at all possible. Um, but it is very high in protein, but it's very low in other minerals. It's completely devoid of vitamin B. Um, if you use it as your main source of uh, fish food, your plants will actually get lateral Lyme disease uh, over time because it simply doesn't have enough vitamin B, so their lateral lines will start to degrade. Azola is another one of these things that's very similar to duckweed. Um, oh, sorry, hit the wrong button there. Um, uh, it's another one of these that keep uh, is similar to duckweed. Um, people often grow it as well. Uh, it does have a symbiotic cyanobacteria with it, which is a little bit different than some of the, it's almost like an aquatic lichen uh, more than it is like a, a plant, which is pretty cool. But uh, um, again, uh, it doesn't reduce nitri nitrates anywhere near as well as things like duckweed. Um, it can be good for, for fish feed and for livestock feed, but don't rely on it as your main fish food source. And if you do grow it, Grow it in a separate container where you treat that as if a, just a bio, like a grow space. Don't just sprinkle it through the system and think it's going to help with anything. Because 
all it'll do is end up clogging your filters and your pumps and, and causing huge headaches later on. So duckweed and azula propagation, you can kind of see it's all barred off to keep it from getting where it's not supposed to. That's how you should do it. Wheatgrass is another one that's easily to grow to, with the aquaponics runoff. Um, you know, you don't have to do a whole lot. You just throw the seeds in and water them with the aquaponic water and away you go. Garlic, um, this can be a great one. You can grow an aquaponics. Uh, oh, so for fish feed, um, you want to use, you can grow garlic in aquaponics. It'll grow much faster, but um, garlic actually is really good if you have a sick or injured fish or you have fish that aren't eating or um, you just want to kind of increase the fish's um, interest in the, the uh, fish food. Uh, sprinkling some mashed garlic on it can really help um, increase their uh, desirability to eat it. We see it all the time when we get fresh caught herbivores out of the ocean um, and salt water, and they really, really loved it as well. Fresh and salt water. Good for fishing too. Add it to your dough baits. Fish veggies, you know, again, zucchini, peas, broccoli, chard, beets, Brussels sprouts, uh, and then dried algae. All of these are really good for, for fish feeds if you're doing pastes and other things. Apples and other sugary foods, uh, again, can increase the bioactivity of your system. Um, same way as if uh, you're adding molasses or sugar uh, to the system. Also adds iron, potassium, and calcium to the system with those sweeter fruits and a much higher ratio. So something else to think about. You know, it can be a good treat for your fish. And then fish fry, you know, you have powdered commercial foods, cooked and crumbled eggs. Uh, you know, you get the uh, uh, cook up your uh, hard-boiled eggs, throw them in the slap chop, you know. Bam! Clean it up with your ShamWow. Um, anyways, I was watching a thing about him the other day. Uh, crushed flakes, uh, tiny live foods, black worms, um, you know, micro worms, vinegar eels, all these are good fish foods. Mosquito larvae also make really good baby fish food. And live bears, you can also breed them to feed your fish. So, And there's, again, tons of different homemade fish food recipes. You guys can check those out online. Uh, unbleached rice, nori, frozen shrimp, all different types of stuff. General rule of thumb, the more protein-rich a food is, the higher nitrogen output, the more plant-based it is, the higher in phosphorus and potassium. And then the increased microbial uh, replication, you know, sugarier foods. All right, well, there you go. You guys know who I am. Um, let me bring up the video too, I wanted to show you guys, and then we'll get to your questions. So this is a drilling a fish tank. I'm gonna mute the video because I'm sure you don't wanna hear it, but I'll kind of explain what's going on. It's it's drilling through glass. It's not a very good sound. Um, okay, so what we did was we took the um, okay, so we took the uh, uh, fish tank and then we put a ring of sculpy clay around where we want to drill, and we drew we drew where we wanted to, to put the hole with Sharpie before we put the uh, anything in there. So we put the clay around the edge and made a moat, and then we filled that in with water. Uh, he's drilling in that little pond of water. Um, and you can see the, the glass shards and glass dust is in the water. This prevents you from breathing in all of that glass dust, like instantly giving you, uh, you know, uh, mesothelioma uh, and uh, prevents you from uh, also um, like getting glass in your eyes and shooting all over the room. 
but also keeps it cold as a lubricant. It keeps it nice and cold. So you're not, uh, um, you know, getting it too hot, which can then stress crack the glass. And this is how you have to do it here. And this is a, a specialized glass drilling bit. You can buy these online uh, or at, uh, you know, glass cutting shops and things like that. Um, and the other trick of it is, is that you're not pushing down with that. You're just using like the weight of the drill and not else. You're not pushing on that. If you push on the glass, you're going to shatter it. You have to just use a very light pressure and just use the friction of that drill bit to slowly cut through. And, and when you do the pre-drilled tanks, it's much easier to, to set up your plumbing and everything, especially if you're going to do a whole room of them. You know, anyone that's been to a fish store has seen most of the tanks there were pre-drilled. Um, it's not that big a deal to do. I think a lot of people are just intimidated by, by drilling glass, but it, you know, if you break one or two, you know, whatever, like it happens, but um, once you've done it a few times, it, it's not a very difficult, uh, difficult thing to do. And this is a 29 gallon uh, cube tank, uh, which is actually like a, a $400 tank. So he's trying really hard not to, not to screw this up. That's me pouring the water and filming in this video. And you can see there where like the, uh, the spin of the water is almost creating like a little air gap. That's what you don't want. You can see, I'm gonna top it off again. Yeah, so see how that kind of went away where it's not sucking the air in anymore? That's kind of what you wanna prevent from happening. This video is like a really good uh, demonstration of it. It's just about ready to cut through here in a second. But uh, just to give you guys an idea of how you would go about drilling a, a glass fish tank if you're trying to, to hard plumb it in. You also want to kind of plunge cut it a little bit too. So you start off a little bit more on one side uh, and then tilt it in. You know, you don't want to do a straight down. Um, that's another real quick way to crack the glass. So hopefully that uh, gives you guys a few pointers on incorporating your aquariums into the uh, the grand scheme of things with your uh, your aquaponic systems and uh, putting your freeloading fish to work at home. Yeah, this is gonna plunge through in a second. You'll see in a sec. This is part of a video that I've been editing together and then never finished editing. So. I should finish it off one of these days. Yeah, you can see. there you go. That's how you cut glass. All right, what questions do you guys have? Pop over to chat here. Oh, <laughs> sham wound up. Um, Let's see. Uh, Lodia candesis is a great plant for water clarifier, produces an enzyme that prevents algae bloom. I didn't know that Lodia did that. That's really cool. Uh, what else do we have in chat? How big of a tank would you need to crush on a four by four? So if you're gonna do a four by four, I would try to get to at least 55 or 60 gallons. If you can get to 75 or 90 gallons, you can do a lot better. Um, you know, it just depends on how many plants you're going to put in there, but you need a minimum 40 or 50 gallons. 
uh, for even a, like a three by two. Um, let's see here with some soy sauce and lime. Um, sorry about this, guys. Water system getting come huge, especially in the desert. All right. Do you guys have any other uh, allopathic capabilities? Alodi is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't ever heard of that with the algae. I do know with the allopathy, you know, a lot of people don't know that brassicas, a lot of brassicas have pretty bad allopathy when it comes to killing mycorrhizae. So don't plant, put brassicas in their own grow bed. Don't put brassicas interplanted with the rest of your garden in soil. Right, well, let me see here. What time is it? How long we've we been doing this? All right, it's been about an hour. Um, I guess we'll end the show a little early today. I do apologize, guys, for, uh, for having a bit of a, a, a wonky month this month with the shows. But uh, we will have... Um, back to our normal schedule i do have some cool guests including uh jorge cervantes and a few other cool people in the queue here soon for you guys so uh, we will have an exciting next month or two including some uh, cool footage down in bangkok next month in april so we'll be doing some some cool collaborations down there with some video work and some other awesome stuff coming up which i think you guys are going to be really excited about once you guys see uh what we're working on so um we have another person in chat. Love from Namibia. I have a charity. We built aquaponics system three years ago, feeding many people, struggling with the trial and error and inadequate mentorship. Love your channel. Heck yeah, man. Thanks for joining us. It's a shame I didn't know about you. I was right next door in Zimbabwe a couple of, like two years ago. Uh, what else we got? Anybody else have any other questions in chat? Hey, thanks for joining us, Mike. Always nice to see you in chat. Again, sorry for the last minute episode. We did have a, another guest scheduled for today and he had a, a family emergency and had to reschedule like an hour beforehand. So uh, we will be back again uh, next week with a regular episode. Um, I, I will have an easier time. My shoulder is almost healed to where I can operate a vehicle again. So um, life will get a lot easier for me in terms of logistics and getting back and forth and getting on filming times last week i had to get my driver's license situation sorted so it was a last minute important thing i had to get taken care of but uh but everything else is, is sorted now so we'll be back again soon thank you everybody for watching um be sure to check out our uh, show on all the different formats we have it on soundcloud youtube iTunes, spotify all the things um be sure to check out i had a bunch of great videos i posted lately about the farm including a a quick farm tour I posted last week. So if you want to learn more about what I've been doing, check it out. We'll also be having a lot of great videos highlighting different strains. Uh, in the next few weeks, we have a ton of uh, test stuff and flower. Um, we'll, be, we'll be highlighting a lot of those. So uh, shout out to all the awesome breeders that have been helping us out. Infamous Thai, um, uh, Canatai Seeds, Dutch Blooms, Irie Genetics, Jordan of the Isle, um, American One, and all the other awesome people um, that we've been able to, to work with with genetics out here. So uh, thank you, everybody. And um, we'll be back again next week. You can find me on uh, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, all the things. Uh, also find us on Dat Smoke Show uh, over on DAT Smoke Show, uh, which is our other channel, which is more of, 
we, this show used to be uh interview and then like a panel discussion afterwards we kind of split that into two shows so um this is the interview and education side and the other one's kind of the screw around with our friends and, and bs about our gardens show so uh, check that out over there uh, if you're interested in a little bit more content it's a little bit more sloppy and a little bit more goofy uh, <laughs> he's a good show enough material for a book i actually have an insanely long long book that i already have almost 200 pages written on that i'm working on every day now um trying to get it finished um so that's coming and it's going to be a reference book on aquaponic cannabis um, so, you know, you'll be able to kind of look up any kind of active ingredient that you're normally going to find in a store and find out, is it compatible with your system, uh, how to use it, what the dosing might be and all that kind of stuff, as well as system design, in-depth tips and stuff, pictures from different constructions, projects I've done, and all kinds of great material. So you guys will really like it. And that's coming down the pipeline, um, trying to finish it for this year, but no promises. <laughs> Anyways, guys, thank you. Much love, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for all the birthday wishes this last week. Uh, and uh, thank you guys for all your support. Thank you, everybody, for helping us hit 14,000 subscribers this week. Um, much love to everybody. Uh, keep spreading the good word about the show. And we'll be back again next week with some awesome content. Thanks, everyone.